have no right to complain. People like to twist that around, I know. They say, they say, well, if you don't vote, you have no right to complain. But where's the logic in that? If you vote and you elect dishonest, incompetent people and they get into office and screw everything up, well, you are responsible for what they have done. You caused the problem. You voted them in. You have no right to complain. I, on the other hand, who did not vote, who did not vote, who, in fact, did not even leave the House on Election Day, am in no way responsible for what these people have done and have every right to complain as loud as I want about the mess you created that I had nothing to do with. So I know that a little later on this year you're going to have another one of those really swell presidential elections that you like so much. You'll enjoy yourselves. It'll be a lot of fun. I'm sure as soon as the election is over, your country will improve immediately. You are listening to 102.3 WHIV-FM in New Orleans, Louisiana. We are Radio Nola HIV with programming dedicated to human rights and social justice. WHIVFM.org. We honor independent voices. End all wars. Okay, just say I'm Jimmy Anselmo. Proud to be on WHIV, the best radio station fighting for the right cause all the time. Okay, tune in to 102.3 FM. Stream us live at whivfm.org. I listen to WHIV because I love the music. They talk about real issues that are Let's go. This is 102.3 W. You, you didn't have to cut that out so quickly. Oh, well, keep talking now. Yeah, well, now it's over. So. You turned this, it off. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Get Check, Get Fake, Get Moving show with Doc Griggs and Dr. Derry. I'm Dr. Derry. That's Doc Griggs. Before we get started, Doc Griggs. Ah, getting HIV is easy. Get prep. Dude, you can get free HIV <laughs> testing at any Access Health Louisiana location. Plus, same-day primary care appointments are always available. Access Health has a new, new location in downtown New Orleans at the Pythian Building where people can be seen for diagnosis and treatment of HIV, STIs, and PrEP. Plus, Access Health Louisiana patients qualify for discounted medications through their pharmacy. More information is available at accesshealthla.org. That's accesshealthla.org. All right. How are you doing, Doc Griggs? I'm good, man. How are you? We, uh, we, uh, it's good to be back on air. We haven't had a show in a, in a, in a minute or so. Uh, last week, the two of us uh, both had other uh, obligations. So it's uh, a pleasure t- as we uh, get started with the Get Check, Get Fake, Get Moving show with Dr. Riggs and Dr. Derry to introduce another doctor, uh, another very close friend of, of, of WHIVs and of mine personally, Dr. Nathan Nielsen, who is an intensivist, uh, which means that he does very intense things uh, in the ICU. Rumor has it. At, uh, 
uh, at University Medical Center. Uh, welcome aboard, Nathan. It's great to have Thank you. Thank you much. Good to see you. Hello. Good welcome. to be here. Uh, before we get started, uh, Eric, did you want to talk about anything, or was there? Uh, uh, today, uh, can I see the flyer? Yeah. Trying to get in a mental space uh, to talk. I'm talking for the Tulane School of Public Health. Uh, they want to know. We're going to talk about get checked, get fit, get moving, transcending barriers, and promoting positive change to improve health. Uh, basically, that's a lot of mumbo jumbo to say what we we talk about. This dude's reminding me. I've been speaking on the mic for the last twelve years, and this dude's trying to tell me how to talk on the radio. I've been doing radio for twelve years. Yeah. Um, the uh, uh, sounds so much better when you actually yeah, talk no, into the, the mic. You never say rather I sound than good. talking he says around so much the better, mic. I never, he never said that. <laughs> There's never a good, so how can it be a better? This <laughs> <laughs> is every week. <laughs> um, today, True that. <laughs> 12, twelve to one, room twelve to one, Tulane School of Public Health and Tropical Medicine. Basically, what we're going to do. What I plan to do is take everybody through the evolution of the things that uh, I've experienced and what we actually have been going through on the ground to get where we were. Um, hey, what do you mean by that? To get where we are now, actually. The, it's a, a poignant uh, illustration of how bad we failed uh, as, as members of the healthcare community. Um, uh, USA Today, uh, there's an article uh, that's talking about that the progress that we've made in uh, cardiovascular care has actually stalled and is about to regress. Uh, it's, it's on USA Today, it says progress against heart disease stalls, and we're at a real point of stagnation. And they take us slowly through the evolution of uh, heart disease and, and what's, what's happened. Um, increasingly, in my own circle, I'm noticing people that are closer to our age. Yeah, you've had that, some well, recent I, I, kid, uh, tragedies. Well, there's a kid that, well, we'll start with Chill the Barber, um, the guy, he's our age. I brought him on Fox 8 with me and to share his story. Had a little funny pain, twinge or something in his heart. He was cleaning up his backyard, didn't think anything of it. Next thing you know, he was on his back. Then he's at the ER, then he has a triple bypass. He's 51. Um, I talked to a friend of mine. Well, it's a kid I used to coach. I coached him in basketball, cabbage ball, football for seven years, and I still stay in contact with his mom to try to keep him in the lines. His mom's younger than we are, and she's had a stroke. Mm. Uh, my barber, uh, Stan the Barber, who I do the videos with at the barber shop, his brother uh, unexpectedly passed away at 52 uh, of a heart attack. Um, it's our fault. We failed. Uh, in the article itself, and as a part of my post, uh, it says if, in someone in my church had stood up and told me about this, I might have actually listened. We, as healthcare providers, we're, cha- we're, we're, we're trained. The reason I say that we've failed is that I'm going to dig deep into the realm of uh, health literacy. The mistake that we make, because we're so well-educated, we go to great schools. I'm sure you went to great school. You went to great school. I went to a great school. The problem is not with education. We're well-educated, but the problem is we're too, I can say freaking, you can say freaking. <laughs> we're, we're, we're too freaking smart. Uh, we go to all the school and we forget that we go to school to take care of the people that actually sent us there, our family, our friends. But we come out impressing each other with these big words and, and the policies put in these big words. Community medicine is people, policy, and practice. The problem is the people have been left out of the equation. And when the people are left out of the equation, everyone fails. So the reason that we are where we are, the reason that we're on the radio and have a, a voice now that's re- more resounding is because we've decided to step out of the ivory tower or the, 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 of the hospitals and the policy rooms and actually start from the ground up. Rather than teach community literacy or health literacy from the top down, because of course we know everything that's good for them, we need to humble ourselves to the work and be students of the community so we can learn what's effective. It's like a, trying to be a sixth grade soccer coach 
but having a Hungarian playbook. Hungarian playbook. Okay. And speaking Hungarian, but you're teaching soccer in Uganda. Right. <laughs> I don't care how brilliant you are. I don't how, how, care how great the plays are. If you can't get them to teach you the translation of what's effective, a coach is only as good as his wins. So if healthcare is failing, how can we say we're excellent doctors? If we're not, if they're not getting the message, if you can't, my grandmother always said, if you can't explain it to a four year old, you don't know it. If you can't, if you're not comfortable enough to go in and take all this knowledge that you know, everything you know with ID and explain what prep and HIV is and have a four year old be like, what's that? Right. Okay. What's that? Right. Why do I care about that? And answer those questions and then let them give it back to you to build it up. Then what, then then, then you're failing and we're going to keep seeing these numbers stagnate. There are studies out now that say that that we're, we're approaching the first generation of parents that might outlive their kids. We need to wake up. (laughs) No, I'm not kidding. No, no, no. I'm I'm with you. No, no, I'm not kidding. The rates of childhood obesity are up. The rates of childhood diabetes is up. Type two diabetes in kids is up. You're going to start having kids at 17, 18, 19 with PEs what, yeah, <laughs> from inactivity. Yeah, They're right. taking PE out of school. Yeah. We're not so translating. The first, PE, the first PE you just said was actually pulmonary The first embolism. PE was pulmonary embolism. And the second, the second PE, PE is the PE. Well, so, no, I'm talking to the people first. The right. people that people are listening understand I mean physical education. Take off your smart hat, doc. Well, you <laughs> <said>. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but my, my point is that th- that's basically what we'll talk about is reversing the trends, being in the neighborhood, like the community at the community center, and the, and the stuff that we're doing. Like you're you're putting on this film fest, right? Public health film fest. Most people don't even know what public health is. Most right. med students. When I was in med school, I didn't know what public health is. Yeah, when I was in med school, I had a uh, master's in public health. Well, see, that's, that's one of the, that's the y'all two are the smart guys. <laughs> I don't know about that. I think you two are the smart guys. So a couple quick things, and then let's, let's bring Nathan into the conversation. One is, um, that I obviously I agree with you and, and you and I oftentimes go back and forth on this, that I also believe everything that you just said. Also, I look at it from a perspective of structural poverty, um, and also structural violence, generational poverty, uh, and quite frankly, a large dose of racism that's in there as well. And I think that a lot of those failures, while I hear you, and I'm very, very critical of the medical system myself, especially when it comes to the racism that uh, the medical practice or medicine in the last 300 years uh, has uh, um, has has uh, shown itself to be uh, when you look at Tuskegee or you look at Henrietta Lacks and there's many other examples of that when you look at the high rates of let's say HIV in, in, in brown and black populations uh, but I do, so I do criticize the medical system regularly but I do also want to say that there's also an element of historical and structural so, uh, and, and generational so, so, poverty so, and violence so that's the other part the platform that I'm going to going to get to and I'm going to bring you mm-hmm. want to definitely bring you in <laughs> Uh, I just got back. I'm part of the regional. Not only it's not that I wear clothes and I can just speak the common speak and no line. I'm pretty pretty well versed for I, a reason. I, yeah, I just got no no. I just got back this past weekend. I'm on part of the Greater Southeast affiliate uh, for the American Heart Association National. It's one a national board right. where I'm responsible. We're responsible for Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, and Puerto Rico. We addressed this. Dr. Levine uh, was the she was the principal investigator for the Big Jackson Heart Study. Uh, that 10 year study. I mean, I, as a matter of fact, she just text messaged me. We just had a, meek, we, a meeting last week in Jackson and we addressed all of these. I'm, I'm the former chair of the Multicultural and Social Determinants of Health Committee. So everything that you're talking about is the big words in the policy rooms. Here's the thing that people don't understand. That's why it's important that people vote. 
the people Amen, that make brother. the policy <laughs> yes. are the ones Amen. that control the funding. Right. So if we don't have more people, if we don't have more doctors and healthcare professionals in the policy rooms, the policies aren't going to make sense. And this is a, a, a dead horse that I beat a lot. I beat this horse so much it came back to life. It gave it a pre-cordial thump, and it's back to life again. <laughs> ECPR that dead horse. It's, right? it's, it's, oh, be, be careful what physicians you elect, though. We right. have some well, spectacular, <laughs> god awful failures in, in the Senate who claim to be physicians. So think about <laughs> think about the decision yeah, right. a couple of years ago. American Heart Association. They come out and they decide that we're going to instead of going with prehypertension like it had been for years and just one forty ninety over ninety and two visits and blah 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 blah. They're going to get rid of prehypertension and we're going to call anything above one twenty over eighty stage one hypertension. Sounds great. It makes people more uh, conscious of their blood pressures. And the, the thought is we'll make them more conscious and they will understand. Walk into the barbershop and the, you have a guy literally to walk up and say, Doc, I'm going to have to quit my job and get a job. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, my insurance won't cover. I don't know if it will cover pre-existing conditions. I'm like, what are you talking about? Your blood pressure had the student screening them. Your blood pressure is 122 over 82. That's what I'm talking about. It's hypertension because according to this, this new sign that you put up, um, I'm – Stage one hypertensive. How do I argue with that? Yeah. That's, that, that's because they weren't taking into consideration the common person mm-hmm. in the room. And I almost got kicked out of, well, you know, I get, almost get kicked out of a lot well, of I was going to say, yeah. this is where you and I get because along well. <laughs> they, the conversation, they actually said, sometimes we have to make the best decisions for them. And I'm like, I'm sorry, who's them? Well, you know, those that don't know. I'm like, well, what's funny is I said, and that's when I asked the question, as we were going through med school, right, before you got married, before you had the serious girlfriend, you go through med school, we're getting smart, we're getting all these words, but the moment you caught the flu and got really sick, who's the first person you call? <laughs> well, your mama. Is your, My mom's not a doctor. My yeah. grandma's not a doctor. <laughs> Most people's parents aren't doctors. So you mean to tell me I go to school and learn all these big words and I know more than my mom, but when I get sick, that's the one that yeah. I call? Is that the them you're talking about? <laughs> if we... Accept and understand the fact that the rain falls on all of us and that we are members of a community. What affects you? Mm-hmm. If they turn down the heat in here, all of us are going to start sweating and that we might be well versed in, in a certain field, but we're no better or no smarter than anyone. Right. I mean, you get ask an elephant to swim versus a goldfish trying to climb a tree, you put them, get them out of their, their element. So that's mm. – and, and the problem is this – it goes all the way to the point that we see people – how many times do you see a patient that's had a stroke? Oh, in, they go immediately from ER to now they're in the intensive care unit only because uh-huh. they never bothered to understand what high blood pressure was. Very true. Uh, if you're tuning in, you are listening to Get Fit, Get Check, Get Moving show with Doc Griggs and Dr. Derry. I'm Dr. Derry. That's Doc Griggs. We have uh, Nathan Nielsen, Dr. Nielsen, who is the head of the uh, inten- I, the ICU uh, with at Tulane University and at University Medical Center. So there was a lot of stuff there, Nathan. So just kind of jump in. Um, I guess the the thing that that I think really I think that is really interesting that that Doc Griggs brought up was the uh, how the, the the fact that we're going backwards with some of the disease states that that we had thought maybe we had started to uh, improve upon. Mostly talking about cardiovascular, cerebrovascular illnesses. Any thoughts on that? Or? I, I think to some degree, I, I think we have hit a plateau. I, I don't know if going backwards is necessarily the, the right way to look at it, but I think we have to some degree hit limits. And I think we're seeing this in a, in a fair number of fields, um, be it cardiovascular, cerebrovascular, even in, in intensive care. I, I think we're hitting a plateau at which kind of the one-size-fits-all medicine levels off. Uh 
there's only so much realistic progress we can expect to achieve by using this kind of this one size fits all methodology where, you know, everyone who comes in with a particular condition gets the same kind of cookbook response. Right. Beta blockers and aspirin, a lisinopril, something like that. Right. Yeah. Which goes back to the involvement in the clinical trials. We hit on right. This is something that after Dr. Griggs talks about. Jackson, we had a long discussion. We had a lecture uh, from Dr. Levine um, about the uh, American the Jackson Heart Study. Now there's one. It's a precision medicine study that it was actually started by the Obama uh, administration that we're doing recruiting for to go out and to get people involved. The issue is that it's not just in the African American community. First of all, most people don't really understand clinical trials. But Absolutely not. True. They, they really don't get it. And I was just in a meeting earlier. Um, I'm helping doing some consulting to help people out. I've done everything from the bench work all the way to phase four. They were literally chasing someone down Dumaine, getting my mm. tramadol pills back in the late 90s because it's crack <laughs> was trying to steal my stuff. Um, so <laughs> I know the whole night. The, but but the, the point is if we don't get people involved in the clinical trials, then the medications that you take aren't they're, that's why we're going to precision medication. Right. They're not relevant to, to yeah. you. Absolutely true. And that's one of the problems we're running into is how do we generalize the, the science into kind of everyday practice? And at least in, in my field, we've, we've fallen into what, what I and some other folks refer to as kind of the reverse Goldilocks phenomenon where our trials and our, our investigations are sometimes too inclusive right. and too exclusive at the same time. Well, what does that mean? We think we're we're basically we're excluding a lot of people because they're complicated. They've got other conditions. Train wrecks. So right, exactly. Yeah. The, the, I'm sorry, folks. That's not. That's just an in house term. It's nothing bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah or derogatory. <laughs> but I mean, yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Complicated yeah. people with a lot of other things going on get excluded <laughs> from from investigations, even though they're they're kind of your real world patients. Right. And on the other hand, then you're kind of lumping in people all because they have the same condition. And we're treating that condition as if it's the same for everyone. Right. right. The, the, you get people involved in the clinical trials of the young, healthy college students, but the people that actually need to take the medication are your older folks with multiple complications that right. won't qualify. They right. won't, they, they won't, you, yeah. they, they get excluded. So, so we said we, we fall into what I call the, the reverse Goldilocks. Right. Where basically, we're, we're too inclusive and exclusive at, at the, the same, same time. time. Right. Right. right, right. And so, so we're running into this problem about, you know, does our medical science you know, quote unquote, for you know, for better or worse, really have robust applicability to the people we're treating, and the answer in a lot of cases is no. And I think that's why in some in some fields in medicine we are stagnating because we're hitting that point about which conventional therapy, which is based upon averages, it's based upon kind of these Numbers, average cohorts, right? Yeah, these statistics of what's 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 a benefit. There, there's a limit to so, that. So, so on, on, to that point, it's getting so data-based and statistics-based that they're actually trying to replace us. They're trying to replace doctors with AI, and they're showing that it's not working. There's a thing, and I'll bring it up in a minute. I'll show you. It's called Mabu, M-A-B-U. Uh, Kaiser Permanente is running a pilot right now where they're given this, this artificial – this AI, this robot, and it you sits with the patient all day. Good morning, Mark Allen. How are you? Have you? How are you feeling today? And it starts to learn your personality. Then it'll say, how much water have you drank? What's your blood pressure? And it'll monitor your blood pressure to the point that uh, some of the seniors are getting attached and they say they're going to be sad when it's over. But what they're finding is all the robots are doing is building algorithms. And just mm. like Doc said, the algorithms don't necessarily work because no. it's, it's not a, there's an art 
to, to, to medicine that's missing. And it's the people. And we're getting less and less of the people interaction. I mean, it's, it's sad, well, but... In, ask, ask Dr. Nielsen about his people interaction. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. I mean, right. this is, I mean, right. uh, Dr. Nielsen, and, and of course, Nathan, I say this with the greatest amount of respect yeah, and of love, of course, but Dr. Nielsen practices probably the highest tech medicine than anyone else in, in, in the field of medicine because he's an intensivist, so yep. that's where you go when you have a massive stroke or yep. a brain bleed or yep. a heart attack or yep. trauma, yep. and you have all the life-saving... You be on his foot. Keep going. Keep going. How there do I keep that? going? Yeah, that's right. There is that. There is that. There is that. We've seen, um, seen, seen some crazy bites. <laughs> but the uh, and the uh, yeah, of course they seem malaria too. But uh, dude, I, let me make my point. Come on, Doc, stay on, on task. Stay on task. Um, but at, at the same time, it, with all that high high tech stuff, I, you know, and again, I say this with all mm-hmm. the love and respect. Of course, the, the patients are all sedated and and they're not they're not there. And so what? Uh, oftentimes happens is when you're practicing in an intensive care unit type situation, what you do have is basically a, uh, and this is interesting. I've never, I guess we've never really talked about this on air, mm-hmm. but you have a, a person, a body, let's mm-hmm. just say, right. And, uh, that has multiple complicating factors that you have to take into consideration. Let's say hypertension, diabetes, let's say HIV, right. Oh, yeah. But then that maybe alters the way that you're doing things kind of in one in leaning in one direction or the other. Mm -hmm. But what you're still doing is practicing kind of like a one size fits all with slight modifications given the various variables that they, that they may have. And and is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, To a a degree. I was about to say, get him, get him. We, right, we see conditions. You know, various conditions call it, you know, septic shock or you know a, a big stroke or you know respiratory failure due to pneumonia. Right, and yeah, to, to some degree you personalize, but to some degree also can the the wisdom or the information you apply at the bedside is derived from these kind of these big studies. It is kind of derived upon you know the average or at least ninety five percent of the normal and, and who responds to x you know x y or z. Um, but that is that's the know, best that, that we that, can that, do that's, right that's, now, that's, right? That's, that's part of the art of medicine, though, is sorting out right what's applicable to your your person at the bedside. But see, that's what I gather from it, and the fact that you said at the bedside. So you have a patient that's sedated. So that you have a patient that has multiple multiple things going on that are basically dependent on technology. The difference. For I life. just gathered this. I just yeah. gathered this from sitting here, just literally mm-hmm. sitting here. There's a difference, though. Uh, I guarantee you, and I don't know how you mm-hmm. practice. You know, mm-hmm. we, you really don't know what someone does in the room. Unless, <laughs> true. Well, even though I did have a Very doc, had a, I got an, a glowing report from oh, cool. a friend of mine that actually saw you. Um, I told him, stop. How much did he pay you to say that? <laughs> but, um, but no, I have no doubt in my mind that you do spend time getting, talking. The last thing to go is hearing. Uh, we, we know that. Uh, in and out of anesthesia for last thing to go, first thing to come back. That you spend time actually kind of getting to know and seeing how patients respond before you leave the room. It might work mm. for 95% of the people, but whoa, you're mm. looking at the, the stats. And like, whoa, mm-hmm. this is, no, no, no. Hey, listen, we're sorry. And ta- there's still yeah. that, that's the art of medicine. I do know, I uh, won't say who, or I won't say necessarily doctors, but I do know healthcare practitioners that are the exact opposite. That all they do is look at the numbers. They base everything on numbers uh, to get everything. Sure. And they just, they yeah. just ride sure the line we all and know keep going. people like that. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. So the, when you take the people out of it, totally out of it that's when everything goes awry because we every, we all respond differently to different yeah. things yeah we're, yeah very true 
So I do want to add in uh, about as far as the stagnation. Uh, in this is from stagnation in in, 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 in various in diseases that various we have seen. Well, no, specifically cardiovascular. cardiovascular health. In the first decade after 2000, cardiovascular deaths uh, fell at a yearly clip of 3.7 for men and 4% for women, according to. Uh, Journal of American Medicine Cardiology. Then something changed. From 2011 to 2014, the yearly rate of decline fell to just 0.23% for men and 1.17 for women. In late 2016, the Federal Centers for Disease Control and Prevention made a sobering announcement. U.S. life expectancy, long buoyed by plunging heart deaths, has fallen amid, amid rises in drug overdose and suicide in mm-hmm. 2015. Life expectancy fell again in 2017. The plateau in heart deaths was making a bad situation worse. More bad news, the heart disease rate in 2017 did not budge from the year before, and the stroke death rate inched up, according to the CDC. It did what? It, what? it, it inched, inched up. up. Stroke, it inched, hmm. inched up. What they're attributing a lot of it to, uh, as the article goes on, is the increased rates in diabetes um, and obesity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, I think that I mean I'm well aware because I lecture on these, and I and uh, this is something that Nathan sees in the ICU all the time. But we are in an unprecedented opioid epidemic, and Thank I think yes. yeah, and I think yeah. that what we are seeing here in terms of the decrease or the regression of life expectancy, which is what you were saying initially, how we started the conversation, Eric, is no question. The, the function of, of the massive amounts of deaths. In 2017, there were 72,000 deaths from opioid epidemics, and that from opioid overdoses, and that itself is enough to increase life expectancy. What are the two? Mm-hmm. More what people are, die of heart disease than any other condition. Well, yeah. And, Add them all up. Right. So, but hang on real quick. Let me just say this. The two most important additions to life. So human beings are not meant to live to 80 or 90 years old, right? Our, our, our genetic structure, our bone structure. On, on the average, there are the, the lucky exceptions. The, but right, right. But right, we're 40, right, 50. Right, 40, right. 50 is more or less yeah. how old True. a human, as an animal, uh, that, an, uh, that a human being or homo sapien needs to, or would live to, right? Of course, there's Fair. obviously exceptions. But the, the two things that have increased life expectancy have been funny enough because we've seen them go backwards in the u.s have been vaccinations and clean water are the two things look at flint right and look at the 19 states that we're seeing across the country with another unprecedented event which is measles so eric you're 100 i agree with you You exactly it's not me it's the stats we are absolutely right but but this is a big this is huge we are clean water vaccinations opioids are absolutely huge and they account Mm -hmm. for a lot of the spikes and deaths. The other thing, if you want to, we're going to bring everything in. Like we're going to say, get checked, get fit, get moving, no opioids, no heart disease, no <laughs> wash whatever. Your hands, so we, right, wash your hands, get wear vaccinated, wear a condom, get an um, HIV is, test. Is the increasing rates of <laughs> suicide. We are yeah. on experiencing, and we've been, as technology, again, all of the studies are showing it. Uh, two years ago, I did uh, a story and I, I posted a bunch, read it, a lot of research. We're, we're experiencing a loneliness epidemic. Right. Um, yeah. As we know, the body responds. We expand, watching the Notre Dame Cathedral is tragic for a lot of folks. The problem is, as opposed, people are experiencing it alone. They're getting their cortisol, their epinephrine spikes, Mm -hmm. they're going through all that stuff alone with no one to talk to. We're social animals. The fact that I have to go speak, we talked about it, I had to go speak a couple months ago at a school because suicide was becoming just a natural option for the students, and I had to talk to the parents so they could talk them Mm -hmm. out of it. They're high school students. Yeah. It's absolutely alarming. 
Nathan, yeah, what do you what true. are you seeing? I mean, in terms of uh, you know, you've been in practice for about fifteen, almost twenty years. Dude, uh, not, hopefully, not that long yet. Somewhere, somewhere, somewhere in the low tens. Got a lot of gray hair. That's a lot of gray hair that you got. It's a lot of gray. Are you really gonna let him do that to you? Welcome to what intensive care does. It's about his gray. Always wearing a black suit, try to make himself look small. Come on, man. Ask him about that spanky if, wearing underneath. If, if, if you're tuning in, you're listening to the Get Check, Get Bacon Moving Show. Unbutton one of those buttons on your girdle, man. <laughs> Doc Griggs and Dr. Derry. Don't I'm let him do that to you. I'm Dr. Derry. That's Doc Griggs. We have Nathan Nielsen, a great friend of WHIV and, of course, a personal friend of mine. And hopefully Eric's now. Um, the, we, I guess we have to respect our elders yeah, and let them yeah, speak. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Speak on, Sage. Speak on. I just was giving you more experience than you uh, yeah, yeah. more experience you can. Uh, uh, um, yeah, exactly. When you yeah. first came to Tulane, you were already in attending. You were in training, right? You were done. Two thousand nine. Yeah. You were you were in attending, so. right? Yeah. Yeah. In okay. 09, so. yeah, yeah. That's when decade. You, you first saw me. Uh, you Decade-ish. S- a decade. Yeah. All right. All right. So there you go. Okay. That's when you first came up to me after a lecture. Yeah. Uh, the friendship started there. Yeah. Clean, uh, that, clean that up nicely, didn't? You? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, myself out well. Are we seeing in the ICU opioid epidemics and and suicides what Dear what God, are thoughts both, what do you see with those? And, I, and i see a i see a fraction that you know sadly get trapped in almost a, a worse limbo where they survive in order to make it to intensive care and sure. you know some survive and, and some don't from there so i'm seeing you know just a, a small slice of that segment but I'll, I'll say it's definitely definitely spiking uh, suicide and other things it's hard to see i don't think not a lot of those make it to me, but dear dear God, the opioid epidemic spills over in all of its forms into what I see and the worst of it at, in intensive care. You know, uh, catastrophic brain damage due to overdoses, eventual right. death due to overdoses, uh, horrific, sometimes fatal infections due to. Right, I was going to say, I, it, 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 you, right before I left the hospital, it seemed uh, and stopped doing hospital work, and now I do, of mm-hmm. course, mostly administrative and. An outpatient work now, uh, but right before I left the hospital, it just seemed like in the last two years prior to me uh, uh, stopping working in the hospital, it just seemed like uh, infectious endocarditis, infectious endocarditis, infectious endocarditis, which to yeah. me was really yeah. more of a barometer of how intense the opioid epidemic really yeah, absolutely. is. Absolutely, and and in, and in the young and do you folks. want to explain 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 sure. why so, what the link is there? Absolutely. Well, th- there's this horrible infection, uh, Doctor Dare referred to called infectious endocarditis, which is basically the you know they said the fourth grade version is you know the valves of the heart get infected from doing intravenous. Yeah, typically from intravenous it, drugs. It, it can be acquired from other sources, like if you go to the developing world, it's often due to you know skin or, or dental infections, what have you, uh, rheumatic fever, et cetera, right. et cetera. But yes, unfortunately, in our in our modern world, uh, particularly here in New Orleans, the majority of it's due to injecting drug use, you know, like a sterile needles, introducing bacteria into the bloodstream, so on and so forth, and it can get stuck on the heart valves and cause just all manner of horrible, horrible complications, strokes, uh, heart failure, you know, and infections everywhere. And uh, it, it's it's horrible, and you just see you see people on this kind of multi-month death spiral right where you just you just know that they've got a horrible disease it may or may not be even be surgically fixable surgeons are wary about you know about intervening because if 
they go in and do an incredibly risky and elaborate procedure to take out this heart valve, put an artificial one in, and then someone goes out and starts shooting up again, you're back at square one or worse. Right. It's it's terrible. And you see, you see these folks just, you know, going under this death spiral. I've seen, I can, you know, probably exceeding two hands now, the number of 30 and 40-year-olds I've seen come in with endocarditis, you know, their first their first bout and I, I just know that either they're not going to leave the hospital alive or they're going to come back and be worse next time or not just, you know, that they they won't be alive in a year. Nathan, and one of the things that, 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 that you and I uh, bond over is our love for travel and, and, and kind of comparative medicine in different countries. Yeah. What, what, what's it like? In, uh, do other countries do it differently in terms of their practice of how long somebody stay, stays alive or – I mean, we will keep somebody in the ICU. Yeah. It's just for an unbelievable amount of time. And I know that you and I have talked about it on mm-hmm. all matters about when we talk about end of life issues, whenever, yeah. and I'm not necessarily wanting to shift the conversation there, but what, how do other countries deal that are, uh, that, that have the, obviously the financial resources and the technology to practice medicine the way that you do, how would they deal with some of the issues that you, you that, mm. that we see? I mean, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of other countries are a lot, a lot stricter about things. You know, we've, we've shifted in some ways towards, um, taking the physician out of some of these kind of end of life decisions. Right. That's we've, such an important point. We've, we've, it goes back to what Eric keeps talking about. You know, we it, it's funny because, and part of that is is our own our own By, sad historical legacy in a way that because of the abuses and because of the malpractices in yes, American medicine over yes, in yes. centuries and decades past, to some degree, we're kind of we're reaping that consequence on mm-hmm. on the other side. Where now we've we've gone maybe a little too far onto the uh, you know. Uh, over offering side, right? Where you now say, "Oh, what do you want?" Right. right? So we started treating we started treating our patients as customers, right? And you know the customers all right, their, whatever they family. want, they get right, and, so, and their so, families. So, so let's. I'm big on talking about fictional animals like snakes and elephants. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm just, <laughs> if you if he would ever fictional? realize okay. the moment that. that he doesn't respond is when yeah. I stop. But he can, he enough. responds every single time. Um, that's our fault. Uh, you know when friend, they said Notre Dame was burning, I you know what I was thinking. Yeah, but hold on now. No, 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 right. no, 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 no. Easy, easy, Tiger. Whoa, 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 whoa. Um, I have a friend that's a nephrologist um, that is constantly, and I'm not trying to bash because we need, we need all need to work, play nice in the same sandbox, but is affronted weekly because he has to ask permission for treatment plans for his patients. Because, and he's very affronted because someone else. When you say affronted, do you mean he's like a like he, off, he takes umbrage to? Or, yes, got because it, he okay. has to make a phone call in order to order this medication that his patient needs. And ask approval from someone that's not medically trained because it's not, mm-hmm. and I'm saying this without saying it, because it's not paid for. And it's it's limiting because the customer, customer, and the which client is the patient, the, the client is the cl- patient and their families, is sees his face. And he's the representative of everything evil when he says, I'm sorry, we can't. Or I'm sorry, we can, but it's going to cost this much. But it's, and it's not his... Well, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. saying this, I'm choosing my words very carefully, but you understand 
Yeah. That's bringing the elephant out on a leash and keeping it there. But we can talk about that because some of those decisions aren't necessarily – and it's, it's especially in an ICU setting. I mean, it's, it's, it, it can get – I'm sure it can get tense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, and there's the problem, right, is that uh, we, we've – part of – I think part of the struggle of modern medicine is we've, we've fallen a little bit too more into kind of into the customer model. Yep. We've, we've yes. over-commodified we've we've over healthcare. healthcare. Right, and, yep. that, and that has brought with us – brought with it any, any number of ills and, you know, mm-hmm. people going into the field because of the money or, yep. God forbid, the healthcare quote-unquote industry – you know, healthcare insurance, which is, uh, you know, an appalling scam right. for people to make more money off of the, the suffering and, you know, disease of other people. Uh, and at the same time, then we, we've turned medicine into this, because we've turned it into a commodity, we've, uh, on, on the demand side, right, we've created this kind of almost infinite demand particularly, you know, among people that just, you know, want everything. Right. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a nasty little... How, how are we going to be able to put that genie back in the bottle? I mean, Medicare for all or a single-payer system where... I mean, because if you look at yeah. what the Affordable Care Act initially did, part of what, you know, the reprehensible politician named Sarah Palin, <laughs> who was one heartbeat away potentially of becoming the president of the United States... Um, she latched on to the Affordable Care Act by calling something that, that the Obama administration was trying to do that I completely agreed with, was, uh, uh, which was having a discussion or, or creating with a patient and paying for a visit once a year that was specific to creating what we call a living will, right? right? Which it, in your field, yep. Nathan, Invaluable. that you want a living will Invaluable. will tell you what your patient's wishes are. I would guess what you probably have ten percent of your of your people have have oh wills. God, is it a might, high that estimate? Might be, that might be a high estimate. Yeah, I mean, yeah. think about that. I mean, you what you want for yourself and your own body. You we you should be able to discuss with your physician, and that got cap that got weaponized by yeah, Sarah Palin death into death panels. Mm-hmm. And then from that, the death panels discussion, the medical system retreated so fiercely into, we'll do anything, however much you want. These antibiotics, these fluids, the, yeah. we'll dialyze, we'll, yeah. we'll get a CT scan when it's not, I mean, and what happens is, it, and that is another area of where costs go up so high. Absolutely. And, and what we end up doing essentially are keeping folks, God, how do you say what I'm about to say um <laughs> we, because we pro- life is we provide a lot of interventions a lot of services a lot of testing uh, that aren't necessary that are, that are really have they're very not going to chances right they're not going to increase quality of life improving a meaningful outcome. right you know i tell this story all the time i, I my my grandfather was 85 was in the hospital <laughs> i was in medical school um i had just started my rotations i was living in maine at the time i drove up to montreal to go see my grandfather in the hospital uh he's 85 i had a very hard conversation with my family 
his children, my my father and his four brothers and sisters. When I talked about w- whether or not we do CPR or does he have a, uh, you know, what are we going to do uh, in terms of should his heart stop functioning? You know, I had the discussion, right? The mm-hmm. discussion, and uh, and I brought and it was a very intense two hour conversation, and I brought my family through it, and at the end they agreed we're no intervention, do not resuscitate uh, in the event that something happens to him in the hospital. I went out to go get the 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 on call physician to put it in the chart and and I'll never forget it. She's like, Dr. Terry, she's like, you're from America, right? And I'm like, yes, I am. She goes, your grandfather's over the age of 60. Anyone who comes into a hospital in Canada who's over the age of 60 automatically is a do not resuscitate. Wow. <laughs> and I yeah. remember it. Wow. I had just done this very intense it was like it was kind of I felt proud of myself walking my family through a DNR moment that wasn't even necessary wow. right I had no idea I was wow. so amerocentric yeah. with my mm. you know and then I just walked back into the family and they were like how'd it go I'm like everything is cool <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, well, unfortunately that is that is part of the problem with uh, with this void in health literacy and, and expectations yeah that, and that's and this and, and is where of, this links come, the two and, of you yeah, guys. Exactly. There's come to, and there's absolutely an issue of cultural distrust. Yep. Right. You know, is you know me as you know the the, the white physician coming into say an African American family to say, look, we're at the end. I don't have anything else to offer. You know, the inevitable is going to happen here. There's all there's. You better bring a cop. Well. You, <laughs> Sometimes to some, to some families, Sometimes. seriously. Yeah. No, no, seriously. Yeah, some. There's an I, explosive I have, I have, reaction. I have. I have not been assaulted, but colleagues of mine have. Yeah. Really. Physically assaulted. Yes. Okay. In no, the no. Hospital. It's and in our training. Coming at Tulane, yeah. we were trained like you know, just yeah. let them know where you're going, and. But you need, yeah. But there, read. there is there is a divide there, and uh, because there is automatically some suspicion of. You know, oh, that you know, the, the white establishment doesn't want to provide this. Right. For, I think for you guys so just so are. Patient. Yeah, I will say right now, I'm having an epiphany right now, and yeah. I think we have just. I just now have another chapter in my book because I've not <laughs> thought about this in my book on the uh, racism, the historical and structural mm. racism, and misogyny in medicine. Mm-hmm. This is another element that I had not thought about about what happens when you have a historically. Uh, 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 um, a, a family, a black family or a brown family or a, f- mm-hmm. a group of people who have been underrepresented in medicine and have been taken advantage historically in the past. And when you have somebody from the white establishment come in, there is this natural distrust that, that, yeah. that actually happens. And, and wow. And, and how, how do you, so, how do you put that genie back in a bottle? So here's, and that's where, we step in. That goes back to how I started. Yes. Uh, you know, first of all, the, in dealing in the realm of community medicine, medicine in the fact that I don't see patients, I spend all my time in the community doing community education, community mm-hmm. workshops, whatever it takes. Yeah. Um, just recently, last week, at, uh, around the corner from our community center, while we were having a meeting and happened to have the deputy secretary of health coming to speak to the students, um, a guy got shot in a wheelchair. My students were driving up as people were running away. And mm. I had Dr. Alex with me, and I'm like, dude, 
I think we need to get inside. He was like, yeah. I'm like, no. He's like, I'm from Baltimore. I get it. I'm like, I don't care whether you're from Baltimore or yeah. New Orleans. He's from Baltimore. Yeah, he's from, yeah. he's from Baltimore. They're, so, they're definitely parallels. So if you understand that and you're from Baltimore, then we need to get, get inside. In. <laughs> inside. The bullets are outside. Right. So, <laughs> Safety is yeah. inside. So the difference in what I'm doing, basically what I've done is we've set up basically a, somewhat of a lab. Uh, we have students mm. come in and they learn about community medicine, community uh community health. Um, we have public health students, pharmacy students, nursing, uh, med students, undergrad students learning about the community in the community. So mm-hmm. the difference there is, is that uh, not only do I know about the structural, the misogyny, blah, 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 blah. I've experienced it, but I'm out taking the message, mm-hmm. our message from UMC and from our educational platform into the community as part of the community. So yeah. the message comes back in, I can bring you with me now. And mm-hmm. we, tra- and we haven't tried that. Mo- that model hasn't been done. Hey, mm-hmm. part of it, the reason that it hadn't been done is that African-Americans, I can only speak for the African-Americans from my experience. We only make up 4% of all doctors in the country. Mm-hmm. Four. Yeah, that's a, that is a Four. unbelievable, just travesty. Four. And about right. 35% of that it's might, a travesty. Be, might be men. Right. Maybe. How much? About 35 yeah, might be men. Majority are women. There are less mm-hmm. African-American males in med school now than there were in 1978. Goodness. Oh, wow. And so if what you see is what you'll be. Sure. We were doing a STEM NOLA event with these kids. This was last year in the cutoff. Um, and this guy that walked, he's about 36. He's from Mississippi. He was like, man, do you realize that you're the first African-American doctor I've ever seen and shook their hand with in my life? Yeah. So it's the distrust, it's mm-hmm. everything else that goes with it, it's the Tuskegee, it's the whole nine, yeah. as opposed to walking in, okay, I understand where you're coming from, like, hey, you're from Baltimore, once you've lived in a community, you lived in a community, you know, hey, man, it's time to go inside. <laughs> right. You know, or, yeah. you know what? Uh, yeah. All right, so is your pastor here? So can I talk to your pastor yeah. first? Because I have to, I have to give them some news. Um, who do I talk to? I'll give it, but I want it to come through. You have to empower the community. Yeah. And a lot of our colleagues don't, they don't no, know. It's that. such an incredibly good point because also the other thing too, as from a physician's perspective, time is also, I mean, we're constantly because of the privatization or the corporatization yep. of yep. medicine yep. that we're expected to constantly be doing more with less. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then of course our time, I mean the charting <laughs> and documentation mm-hmm. and teaching and all the obligations that, that go with that. But then also the, you know, I have a friend that's in the hospital right now. She's a DJ here on WHIV. She had a mild heart attack. She's a little bit more advanced in age. That's why I didn't bring her up earlier. Uh, but she uh, ended up having poor. T- she needed a cardiovascular. She needed a cabbage. Hang on one quick second. Mm. She needed a cabbage. The doctor came in and gave her the news. What's a cabbage? In a, a cabbages. Thank you. Bypass. Is a coronary artery bypass and grafting. Bypass thank you. It's basically open heart surgery for thank heart you. attack. There we go. And uh, he came in and gave the news very abruptly. He was very, per, per, he was very, like, he walked in, he gave the news, he looked around, asked if they had any questions, got, and then walked out. And she was literally heartbroken, quite literally heartbroken. Mm-hmm. And so I hear you loud and clear, and I 100% agree with you. But the other thing, though, is that the time, and, and the system is working against us yes. because of the time that gets so, taken away, that we can't reach out to the minister, that we can't mm-hmm. reach out and build those relationships that need so to be built. So that, again, goes, that, that's the, 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 the but is, is out. 
The problem is you're expected to do more with less. The problem is we've let other people define yes, what our yes, as doctors. We've yes. let other people define what yes. our more and less is. Oh, we'll mm-hmm. give you more technology so you have electronic medical records so you can do more. It's you just can da, da, da. a billing but I machine. Need, no, what I need is time because right. I'm dealing with, with people. Yeah. And here's the thing. You have to push back and make the time. Uh, I had a cousin that passed away, and we were in – we were at um, – I won't say what hospital, but there was a fellow, <laughs> quite the witty and smart fellow. I'm sitting there with my auntie, his mom. The cousin was my age. He ended up passing away lung cancer. It was a long story, but he wouldn't stop smoking, blah, 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 blah. Well, while I'm sitting there, um, it, he, they, they, were, they were winning, and then it fought back. And he was like, oh, I'm not glad to hear this, but I don't get, it's not often I get to treat a patient um, with this type of cancer. So I'm kind of excited. And I had my hat yeah, on backwards. Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah, sat, yeah. That's sat, another I, thing that we need to well, do. Yeah, so I sat there. I'm sorry. I'm totally dressed like this with but khakis on, mm-hmm. flip-flops, hat on backwards. I'm sorry. What'd you say? And then I just went and said, what type of cancer is this? Now, what's the protocol for this? And what pro- I just started reading him the riot act. Mm-hmm. And who do you think you are? I said, I can show you better in the hall, um, not in front of my cousin, because this is, that's his mom, and he's not a patient. This is my family member. But again, if you don't understand me, um, yeah. then I can make sure that you understand and I can come see you. Well, what, are you, what, what do you think you are? I said, I don't think. I know that I'm a physician and I've been here for years. As a matter of fact, who's your attendant? ended up knowing his attending. P- getting caught up in the wrong more and less until we can swing the pendulum back to the people side and push back and tell people that we want this this money that we're that people are spending and people are talking about losing we'll make more money if we can spend more time talking to people we have to push back and speak up for ourselves i mean that's the problem with the people not being in the room when i say people i don't mean just the people in our community i mean us mm-hmm. as 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 healthcare yeah. as other doctors that's very rare that i'm in the room with any anybody to speak up for us on sure. our side to push back Absolutely. like there's no way that i can do that right. you you give me this ehr system and then you switch it and then all of a sudden i have to learn another ehr and then i'm spending ehr is electronic health records right. sorry about that you want you want you want the doctor to spend 12 minutes with the patient but you want me to spend 15 to 20 minutes 30 documenting minutes trying to figure mm-hmm. out documenting it yeah we're missing it we've, we've lost we've lost our voice I, I don't think there's any question of that is that uh, as the corporatization of healthcare has just climbed, the number of administrators and there are you know, there are graphs and there are data to this point. Because doc, that, you know you have to put the patient out of the uh, yeah. uh, the ICU. And, yeah. and you need to have the antibiotics in the in the patient <laughs> within <laughs> four the hours. Sheer, the sheer number days. of healthcare administrators <laughs> administrators. I use that in quotes. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. We are putting administrators has, has, in quotes. Yeah, has you know over the past decades has has tripled or quadrupled. Right, yeah. there are all these people kind of in the way between the physician and the patient. Yeah, and I, and they're and they're the amazing thing is there's also a graph I saw a few months ago that showed that the salaries oh. of healthcare administrators <laughs> have continued to climb and climb and climb and climb and climb. We used to call them the blue coats. Yeah, as we were rounding, you'd see the blue coats passing by and like who's that you'll be working for them one day and we were like really we yeah. never thought that's but it's the truth we yeah it. we uh, the blue coat that uh, that eric and i work for uh was here two weeks ago yeah but he's cool he's, and he's uh, a yeah person. and uh, eric shows up for uh, a conversation a half hour late so that's uh no, but he knows that i'm so doing late. stuff in the that's game. how laid back don't start that, that, you know don't even we could you. all we could all we could all go on for you know for, no, but it goes for back hours and hours about what the failing of healthcare is but i think a a big portion of it is 
certainly one um, a lack of knowledge awareness on on the on the community side, which is absolutely an important bridge to make. But another another major ill is certainly all these barriers, and we could talk about this for hours or even days. Barriers that exist between you know, physicians and the patient. So, right. so that's you know, exactly where at, I was at going every, to go. At every level, at every possible element, there are barriers. You're, you're going, believe it or not, it goes directly back to what you're saying. And that's how, where we have to, and that's part of my job, um, is wagging the dog. Yeah. Uh, physicians, I mean the patients rather, have been turned into clients and customers. Right. So what you do is take advantage of your interface. Now, I know, because I know from my friend, if people won't listen to him, he'll have the patient call or the family call because they're mm-hmm. ultimately the customer of whoever is. And if you empower the patient with information, they'll stand up for themselves and get things done that you can't just because you're in the yeah. in the system. I, right. He gets called back for order changes all the time. Now, what is it you wanted again? Right. You, we, we have to acknowledge, like you said, that the system has changed. Yeah. And until we get a voice, learn how to empower ourselves. And that's what the community medicine, that's what we do is we're starting from the ground up. We're going to learn. We're going to learn how the customer thinks and how does the customer get things? How can I get this done? What yeah. would you, can you teach me yeah. and be my voice so I can be your yeah, voice absolutely. on this side? And yeah. that's, that's what we're, we're doing. But it's just, it's, it's a sad and it's, it's a hard acknowledgement that we've become corporatized. Yeah. You didn't go to it, school for that. No, it's, it is. Absolutely not true. What you went and when I'm in lecture, when I, I obviously still lecture uh, med students every other week and sometimes it, the conversation falls to that and it's just this dark cloud that like all of a sudden, cause I'll be like, well, there's this, this and this and, and people are like, well, how did you get to that? And I was like, well, yeah, that was largely due to. Um, this corporatization. Well, we've just co- collectively made bad choices about the, the structure of healthcare. Every, ever since, every, oh, well, we, just we, collect, we, collect, you know. We'll say collectively, yeah, but you I'm, know, yeah, we lost I'm, our voice. America, took America, a life for granted. Yeah, that is true. Well, and then, you know, and prior generations got greedy. And a lot of some of what we're dealing with here is we, kind of the yeah. course correction. We suffered. Yep, the course correction kind of steered us off the road. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now we're, we've kind of fallen off the one end. But yeah. If, if you look back in the history of American healthcare, I mean, there are these you know, amazing kind of junction points where we just we made the wrong choice. We made the wrong you know, choice. We allowed healthcare to be to be commodified. We allowed people to make profit, but off the of money that have been made outside are, of even just of the physician relationship, right? right? It's, it's just it's I've it's screwy. Had people say to me, you know, Doc, you know, typically when if someone comes to me and they don't have. Uh, a medical background or someone with them. There's mm-hmm. so many people that think they can just jump in and, oh, I get 10 patients over here and do this <laughs> over here. And I'm like, dude, these are right. people. You can't do that. Yeah. Why not? You don't understand. Like, do you not? You, you can't do that. It's not that simple. Right. Yeah. Because you see someone, and that's another problem that you, you run into it with being a professional. Uh, someone can see you at your job and think, oh, I can do what Doc does. It's, it's easy. <laughs> It's the professional's job. You're welcome to, to try. <laughs> it's a professional's job to make it look like an admirable profession, grace mm. under pressure. But you you lose a lot of hair and get yeah. a lot of grays and wear a lot yeah. of tight tight black suits um, <laughs> along the way. You know, tight. <laughs> you know how they say a hit dog gonna holler. I wasn't even talking about it. Look now he's standing up and shit. <laughs> 
talking about? Well, I didn't know. Did you know you that they made? Pu- you want to do push-ups? Did, did you Did you know that they did elastic vests? <laughs> right. Elastic Spanx, vests. Spanx is making Spanx. Spanx is making suits yeah. now. Yeah, okay. Nice. <laughs> yeah, you're funny. Hardy, you, hard. If he would never hard. respond, I would yeah. stop. Uh, uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Nathan, all right, <laughs> you got him. We, we got. All right, we got. We got about. about if you could wave a magic few, wand, a few more you, minutes. Yeah, wave, wave a magic wand. Mm. Um, in mm. your profe- in your field, what yeah. would you, what would you do? Because I, I don't like talking about problems without solutions. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think so much. So much would be better. By, by somehow ad- being able to adjust expectations. Hmm. I, I think a, an interesting kind of psychological consequence of turning healthcare into a commodity is this expectation of if I just want it badly enough, anything is possible. Hmm. That if I want it, if I'm willing to pay or if someone will pay for it, uh, you know, anything's achievable. Hmm. And there's a notion that, you know, that, uh, you know, Humanity is by nature finite and all of us will eventually die. And, you know, the 90 year old with dementia and pancreatic cancer and everything else pouring, you know, all these resources in and all these potentially painful and unnecessary procedures in to squeeze out another week or so of life uh, just because we can doesn't mean we should. Hmm. And I, yeah. I think that's and it, to my to my interpretation of it. Again, I'm I'm admittedly I'm I'm biased and I see things from a particular vantage point. But one of the problems I see then of of the fact that healthcare has been commodified is this notion that then it becomes infinite, that it becomes purchasable, and if I don't get the outcome I want, it's because somebody made up. a mistake, yeah. or. You well, know, I, I'm just not in the right place, or I need to pay more. I need to find this, find this, that, or the other. I think that's, um, and to some degree, you know, some that's a little on the optimistic side. There, you know, we've we made enough strides in medicine such that people think that we're capable of more than we are. But I, I again, wave a magic wand. I would, I would just like to see a more o- open dialogue and acknowledgement of what we can and can't do and what we should and shouldn't expect. Yeah. I, I, I think in the setting of like what you've said earlier in the setting of the historical racism that has, that is hard, that is super hard to confront. But then also at the same time, you're absolutely right. Cause how many times do people come in? They've gained a couple of pounds. The first thing they want is a pill to lose weight. I mean, they, right. you know, the, it, it, there's these quick fixes. And so, and all of this circles back and we'll let you have the last word here, Eric, to what you say regularly is that while I think that there's an element of, of, of poverty and, and structural violence and racism, um, but when you come directly down to a person, mm-hmm. we have failed as a healthcare system to really develop the health literacy so that yeah. expectations are appropriately managed uh, in the clinical setting. We've Ig- got ignorance is an appealing, yeah. a- appalling problem that, that, that translates into this field. I mean, that, uh, yeah, I got one minute. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, um, no. So the, the issue is that at the dialogue, again, it's the, it's a health literacy communication divide. You know, a lot of times the best thing is to do nothing and let the body heal itself and give it time. If you walk into certain communities, if you walk in any community now and you tell the family, listen, we're just going to do nothing and we're going to watch. 
They immediately think it's a death sentence or you don't know what you're doing. And we're going to go to somebody that's going to stick you with a needle because that doctor did something. Or I went yeah. to the doctor. I go to the, I went to Dr. Derry and I, I'm feeling sick. I know I have pneumonia and he didn't give me an antibiotic. He didn't do nothing. Whoa. That, God, that's such a good point, Eric. <laughs> yeah. How many times is God? That is such a good point. You have two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah. No, no, how much, right, how much does that drive you? Absolutely it, nuts. No, it yeah. breaks my heart. I, I have a, I have a person right now that, that has, uh, you know, yeah, a yeah, quote unquote yeah. ear infection. Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure if I buy that, but there's legit issues going on. And then was, he went to a provider, gave obviously antibiotics and yeah, you know, and it's just like, and it's not, yeah. You know why he gave the antibiotics? Because going back, I'm awesome at tying things together. They go to healthgrades.com or grades, yeah. and you get and there's, two stars, one right. star, yeah. three that star. Is well. make, you know, make, make the customer happy. Are yeah, you right? That's what medicine it's, has become. You have it's, a cold. Um, Doc, what's the percentage of viruses that we catch as like, opposed to? 98%. <laughs> yeah. no, exactly. Hold on. There's only one virus that makes your nose drip. They, they actually called that's rhinovirus. It. They actually named it. That's <laughs> our nose. All right. You've been tuned in to Get Check, Get Fit, Get moving thank you nathan nielsen dr My nielsen uh, head of the icu uh, and intensive services at tulane university as well as at uh university medical center dr griggs love you we'll see you next week love you too man i like your stretchy best and 